when it comes to a global pandemic. It all has local implications. Let's head overseas to Denmark. And former NL News Director Shane Woodford. Hey, Shane. Good morning, Howie. How are you, brother? I'm good. And yourself? Yeah, doing well. Uh, last time we spoke, kids were going back to school, including your little guy, Henrik. How, how has that yeah. gone? Yeah, it seems to be going uh, okay. Um, there hasn't been any kind of um, massive spike in the numbers or spike in infections or any kind of um, you know emergency situation. Uh, overall, the number of days in hospital and uh, in ICU and on respirator has trended downwards. Uh, the number of infections daily has kind of slowly declined. There's never any huge number anyway. We're, you know, it's about between 100 and 150 a day. Uh, the number of deaths is, uh, is, you know, it's gone from 10 to about four or five a day. Is four today. Um, so so far, fingers crossed, things are going, you know, okay. Um, that said, I think we talked a little bit last time about the spacing challenges with the social distancing mandates with those kids going back to school. Uh, for example, in my son's school, it's it's a school up to grade five. They actually moved grade four and five out to the older kids' school, which is currently empty, in order to create the floor space uh, to abide by the social distancing requirements. Well, as of next Monday, grade six and up return to school. We don't know exactly what that will look like yet, um, but when they do, they're going to bring their own social distancing challenges with them and then compound the problem for the younger kids if nothing changes uh, by taking away the floor space that they're using currently to kind of alleviate their own issues. Right, and you also mentioned the uh, some of the shopping centers are going to be opening up uh, today. Yeah, today's a big day. The retail basically in Denmark is uh, is restarting uh, today. Uh, big shopping malls, big shopping centers are opening their doors for the first time in a long time since the pandemic has struck. Probably been in what, almost two months now. Um, they've got a pretty howie, a tawdry list of mandates. Like this isn't just throw open the doors and have at her. Um, they have some strict social distancing requirements as well. They've sort of worked out a formula based on the square meterage of the store itself. So, for example, if you're a store just under 2,000 square meters, then you have to ensure that uh, there's four meters squared per customer. Uh, two to 5,000 square meters, that moves up to eight meters squared per customer and so on. Uh, they also have to ensure there's no log jams in the store. Uh, they got to, you know, look at ways to move customers through the store with minimal contact and lots of space. And they also have to um, make sure that there's as little as possible contact between a store employee and a customer. So, you know, for example, if you go into a, a Foot Locker or something, you're going to have a lot less um, sort of having a staff member come up to you and say, hey, can I help you out with something? Can I do something? You're probably going to be more of a situation here where you're going to have to go to them and they're going to be behind some kind of plastic shield and you say, oh, I need one of these and a nine and, and they'll kind of, you know, run around with gloved hands and hand you something and then you got to try it on yourself and figure it out. Sounds like... So, uh, yeah, sorry? I was just going to say, sounds like you have to have a, a slide rule handy. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they do it. I mean, that's just, there's a whole bunch of rules here. I mean, they can't have... Any indoor play areas open. Um, they've got to make sure that, you know, if a, a seniors show up or somebody who's immunocompromised, they can uh, get them into the store to do whatever they need to do with as little infection risk uh, as possible. I mean, it's just a, a really long list of stuff that they're going to have to do. And then the other the other big question, I mean, there's kind of two overarching questions over all of this because it's kind of a big experiment. 
we kind of slowly figure out, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to reopen these guys. And the whole time you do it with a sharp eye on the numbers, and if there's a big infection surge, and we're starting to see that in the Asian countries, I know South Korea has had a spike lately. Uh, Wuhan, which was the center, has reported their first corona cases in over a month of seeing none. Uh, Japan is seeing a spike. Um, so, you know, we're going to see something at some point in time, one assumes. Um, so that's the question of what happens with the infection numbers as we reopen. The other big question, Howie, is, you know, with all the stuff out there about the infection risk and the coronavirus and all this stuff and all that talk about, okay, you got to stay home, you gotta, you got to do these things to protect yourself and everybody around you, how many people are going to, in Denmark anyway, venture out and go to these stores? You know, are they going to do it in any kind of numbers? No one really knows. I suspect um, that there won't be a return to shopping, you know, the way it was, quote-unquote, normally before the pandemic. Well, if if Vancouver is any indication, they they flocked back to the beaches. It's not uh, yeah. it's it's not the stores, uh, but still, didn't look like there was a whole lot of social distancing going on at Kitts Beach yesterday. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a different scenario there. I, you know, it's just I don't know what some people are thinking. Uh, Denmark's a little bit more of a you know smart people here don't kick up a big yeah. Well, I don't wanna, I don't want to be <laughs> condescending about it, but. I mean, it really strikes me, even before the pandemic struck, about how, you know, Danes kind of go, okay, you know, that's what we'll do. We'll do it. No big deal. You know, there's things here that people just sort of go, all right, whatever. And, you know, if you tried that back home, you know, people would just lose their minds. They'd be just freaking out and screaming and all sorts of stuff. Uh, It's been really interesting sort of watching how they handle the pandemic because, by and large, most everybody in the country has gone, yeah, that makes sense. We'll do that. that. That sounds about right. What's uh, what's happening in Sweden? We know that they sort of took the herd immunity approach. Yeah, did they? <laughs> well, it seems, seems like they did. That. Yeah, well, it's funny because they won't admit that it's a herd immunity approach. That's the whole, I mean, it's, that's, so, oh my God, there's just such a disaster over there. So they, they did this strategy. They wouldn't tell anyone what the strategy was. And it started out with, well, was it herd immunity? No, no, it's not herd immunity. And then it became... Oh, well, herd immunity is a byproduct of our strategy. It's just, you know, it's just kind of a nice thing we get for our strategy. And then they put out their National Health Institute about two weeks ago, put out uh, a study that claimed that Stockholm was going to reach herd immunity, you know, the following week, which would have been a week ago now. Um, and then and then all these reporters started going, well, I don't know about these numbers. And then within an hour of the press conference, they said, oh, we're retracting the report. Um, we've looked at the numbers and, and we realized we made some calculation mistakes. Uh, by, by any metric, Sweden has failed. Um, they got just over 26,000 cases right now, total, Howie. The rest of the Nordic countries, Finland, Norway, Denmark, who all went into lockdowns, have less cases combined totally you look at deaths in sweden they have 33,256 deaths right now the rest of the nordic countries combined are 1019 so three times more deaths than the other three countries combined denmark has 529 so they are like way more than denmark and as uh, finland norway and denmark all sort of come out the numbers kind of dwindle down into really really low numbers and and keep on declining, uh, Sweden's still steaming along. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've been watching what's going on in uh, the United States as well, particularly. Uh, um, I think theirs is more herd stupidity approach. 
Yeah, they're a mess too. I mean, they got caught with their pants down despite, you know, the whole world watching what was going on, sweeping through China, then Italy, then Europe. Uh, and the United States still managed to find a way to completely be not prepared. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that situation. It's it's really scary there. They are now, I mean, they're supposed to be this great, incredible nation with this great health care and, and all this stuff and le- world leaders. And they are now by far the hardest hit country on earth. They got um, over 80,000 deaths as we speak. They're going to blow through 100,000 within a week or so. Uh, they got 1.3 million total cases. That's the third. So they have out of one out of every three cases in the world right now is in the United States of America. And their their number of infections daily is insane. I mean, they're 25,000, 30,000, 32,000. That's each day they're amassing cases. It was 37,000 uh, not that long ago. It was one of, the, one of the record days. You didn't happen to see... So you uh, look at Italy. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to... I was going to say, you look at Italy. I mean, look how they peaked. And even now, they're still, you know, they're in a much better situation. But they're still seeing, you know, 150, 200 deaths, you know, cases, a couple thousand cases, the kind of thing, as they kind of wean down from the peak. Well, think of the United States peak. I mean, they're going to take months and months and months to wean down from that. I mean, assuming they've peaked now, which we don't even know yet. Did you happen to catch 60 Minutes last night? Do you, do you get it in... You get it in Denmark. Uh, no, I did. Oh, I did not. Well, basically showed that uh, Trump kiboshed a, a joint research venture between some of the top epidemiologists in the states that were working in conjunction yeah. with those in China, and yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they yeah. were working on treatments, vaccines, pinpointing the origins of uh, COVID nineteen. It just seems whatever is the most prudent way to do things, they do the opposite. Yeah, and and then they try and kind of spin the truth to make it look like they're doing a really awesome job. Yeah, the um, there's a special uh, agency set up in China to be on the ground. It was set up during the SARS epidemic years ago, uh, and they sacked that in January. And they also sacked the communication sort of team between um, the name escapes me, whatever the national health agency is in right. the CDC. Sorry, uh, they sacked the communications team between the White House and the CDC early this year as well. Uh, and then, of course, as I said, they watched this tidal wave, you know, steaming down on them and still, you know, couldn't find their way to prepare or make any precautions or stock up on protective gear for doctors or whatever. I mean, just an absolute disaster. They literally did everything wrong. And, and now they got a case where there's a, there's a COVID outbreak in the White House. These guys are going around to hospitals and stuff with no masks and kind of flaunting all the rules. And now, you know people in the White House are dropping like flies with COVID and they're testing everyone around the president every single day. Uh, I mean, just the simplest of precautions. I was shocked that the President Trump showed up at a, a veterans ceremony with, with you know, really old veterans who were in, clearly in the high risk group. Uh, no mask, no effort to kind of protect themselves or, or others. I mean, just, just no empathy or human understanding there. All right. I, I did want to, before I let you go, I wanted to uh, make mention that NL is celebrating 50 years uh, as yeah. of as of this week. And, uh, and you've you, been there for 40, 46 of them? 46. I knew I was going to say cue the old joke. <laughs> 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 uh, I've been I've been here for 26. I've been here for 26, 26 of the 50. Of yes. Wow. Yeah. More than more Excellent. than half. So uh, I'm not quite, uh, you know, uh, Harrison and, and Jesus were, were good buddies at one point. 
point. Uh, but, yeah, Moses used to part Harrison's hair, I think, didn't he? <laughs> That's right, um, which he doesn't have much of anymore. Uh, by the way, Jim Harrison's going to be <laughs> Jim Harrison's going to be on the program tomorrow. He was very reluctant, awesome. as as many of the former NL employees have been uh, a little reluctant. Um, mm. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, I've got you on the phone. So you were here. Uh, you had two tours of duty, uh, one on yeah. Country One Hundred Three, one as the program director. So what was uh what are sort of your memories of radio and l and uh and what it meant to you yeah um i mean most of my memories are things i can't really talk about on the radio <laughs> uh, i just remember i just remember what an insane cast of characters it was i mean it was i called it the, the hardest working news station in the province which it was there was just an unbelievable um high level of productivity and people really put their nose to the grindstone, but they did it with a crew of people that if you were going to create a radio sitcom, like even a WKRP or something, I mean, you couldn't invent these people on a piece of paper. They were just so colorful and quirky and interesting and hilarious. Um, I think I told Robbie Dunn, uh, who used to own the station, uh, I told Robbie Dunn in my first tour of duty that we should, you know, just take some money and put in cameras and microphones in the building all over the place and just broadcast it as a HBO style <laughs> radio sitcom. We'd all throw our careers away, but for about two years, we'd be the hottest thing you ever saw on your TV screen. It would be amazing. I thought the same thing, I, uh, you know, during during those years. Uh, and the thing I remember so much is laughter. Uh, just yeah. having a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I think about a guy like, uh, Jim Reynolds, who I had on Friday. Um, you know, just, there was so much laughter in, in the newsroom. We, yeah. you, you mentioned it was productive and, you know, you, you think of some of the people that just were churning out stories and, uh, breaking, you know, major stories, but, uh, a lot of fun was had. Yeah. I remember my very first day at NL. Uh, very much a cub newsy uh, rolling into the station and, you know, nervously setting up shop as the new guy. And JR came out and just started going at Angelo. And, you know, years of working at NL, I began to realize this was their thing. And then, you know, you guys would tell me the stories about all the antics over the years prior to me showing up. And, uh, and then that kind of helped fill in the picture. But I mean, at the time, this is my first day. I'm nervous. <laughs> Uh, you know, all the first day stuff applies. And then here's, here's one of the bosses of the station and he comes out and just lights Angelo up using language. I cannot say on the air right now, but I remember completely being oblivious to the history and the dynamic of those two guys sitting at my computer station, sweating bullets (laughs) and thinking to myself, like, Man, if he talks to me like that, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to have, I don't, I'm going to like cry or run away or something. And it, I was just like, what is happening? And That's... then, you know, you, you work with, with Jim and Angelo, who were just unbelievable. I remember my job interview with Jim, and uh, he, he was, um, I think he'd hired somebody before me that didn't work out or something, and he was super nervous about making that mistake. And so it was a three hour job interview. And uh, for people who don't know who work with Jim and Angela, I mean, they can turn out a news story in less time than it would take you to eat a cracker. Like, 
it was unbelievable. So Jim would be interviewing me in his office with all of the, you know, um, tension and, and nervousness uh, you have as somebody applying for a job and being in the interview process. And he'd be, t- you know, kind of give me this the job interview interrogation. And then uh, at least three times, if not more, he would stop and go, oh, excuse me, I see something here. He would just call somebody. He would do a two or three, four-minute interview with whomever and then turn out three stories, voice two of them, file them, and like five minutes or less, like just he was, oh, okay, sorry, where were we? Oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. who did you work for then? And then he would do it again. And I remember just being like, oh, my God. And it was crazy. And I remember leaving that job interview, uh, and I came up from the coast to do it in person. And I drove uh, to Salmon Arm literally for, for no apparent reason that I can think of other than just to look at, like, you know, nature and the lake and bring my blood pressure down from, from quadruple digits. Uh. So, you know, those guys are just, um, you know, Angelo and, and Jim and everybody at the station, uh, what they did uh, as individuals, uh, what they contributed to journalism in the province and what they did for the city of Kamloops in by telling news stories and pumping them out to the extent that they did, it in a very real way raised Kamloops profile on the provincial stage um, and made it uh, a much more well-known city. Uh, you know, there was just there's still outside the Lower Mainland, uh, there is no city other than Kamloops that pumps out the news uh, the way that Jim and Angelo have embedded in that station. And it's uh, it's a credit to them as people, obviously. Um, and it was really uh, amazing experience to work with both of them. It's, it's also credit to, to the building as a whole. Shaner, in the in the uh, we've got a take a break for news here, but really good to talk to you, and I'm sure we'll be talking again as we plow our way and uh, hopefully back to some sense of normalcy, uh, but uh, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, always good. Love you, brother. Okay, Big hi and, you as and well. Everybody back there. We'll, we'll do. Cheers. Okay. There's Shane Woodford uh, joining us from Denmark. NL